Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. Stories of old have great meaning for us. Throwback is a series looking at the lives of biblical characters from long ago and how we still face the same challenges today. Hopefully we can learn from them, avoid some of their mistakes, and repeat some of their victories. Just as Jesus took 12 ordinary men and raised them up to be apostles who changed the world, just as Abraham had 318 trained men in his household, and just as Paul took a young man, Timothy, and raised him up to pastor the church in Ephesus. Here at Grace Life, we also believe the best model for finding ministry leaders is not hiring based on a resume, but raising up within our own family, helping each other to become all that God has called us to be. So... For these three weeks, we're giving this opportunity to some of the young men God is raising up here at Grace Life. I'm asking you to join me and extend your best support and encouragement. Let's clap for them, let's shout for them, and let's show them how much we believe in them and all that God is doing in their lives. All right, good morning. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Welcome to Grace Life. Welcome to Grace Life. And I'm telling you, I'm so excited to be here. I'm so happy to be here in front of you. I'm so grateful that Jimmy and the elders gave this opportunity to stand and share what I feel like the Lord has put in my heart. And, you know, most of all, I'm grateful for you guys. I'm glad you guys are here. I'm, uh, you know, the support and the love that you guys have shown coming into this has been amazing. So I love you guys. No, thank you. Yes. Thank you very much. Yes. God is good. So we are today finishing up the throwback series, which is stories from old, um, not necessarily the Old Testament. Mine happens to be out of the Old Testament. But what can we learn from these types of stories? What what kind of insights can we gain? What kind of truths can we grab and apply to our own lives? And today, I want to talk to you about a man whose story starts in Judges chapter 11. His name is Jephthah. Jephthah is a very complex figure. And he's done some very good things, and he's done some very terrible things. And, you know, when I was coming up with this, at first, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to concentrate on the good things. We don't need to get into all the crazy things that Jephthah did. But the truth is, let's look at his life for what it was. We can learn things from the great things that he did, and we can learn things from the terrible things he did, how not to behave, if that makes sense. So we're just going to look at his life, a snapshot of it, and see what we can learn. But my overall goal today... The point of everything that I'm trying to convey is I would like everyone to leave here with tools to become overcomers in their life. No matter what you're going through, no matter what situation you find yourself in, I want you to be able to have some things that will help you overcome. It may be situations that are thrust upon you that you have very little control over. It may be something that you feel like there's just a weight that you can't get underneath. It may be something that you even feel like you don't deserve, something that's happening to you that you feel like that the situation doesn't merit to hit you in this way. I want you to be able to overcome. So in order to talk to you about this, I want to actually give some insights about some of the things that I've had to overcome in my life. Now, honestly, these are some deep personal things, guys. They're they're, they're deep. And uh, um, one of the things is uh, um, I actually talked to my mom Um, about a week ago, and I was telling her about how I was thinking about sharing some of these things, and I was like, Mom, are you okay with this? I mean, you're not going to get mad at me and 
fly down to South Carolina and spank me or something. But anyway, but she, uh, she said no. She said no. God is good. Um, one of the, uh, the, the thing that really actually got me was not only was she okay with me sharing these types of things, but she actually encouraged me to. She urged me to because she feels, as I do, that there may be somebody who can learn from some of the things that we went through. So, you know, basically what we're going to start with is my fifth grade year. The summer of my fifth grade year. Yeah, it was, I, was, I was everywhere. But, um, but that's not what I had to overcome. My craziness was not the, the issue. My parents actually got a divorce in the summer going into sixth grade. And this completely wrecked my world. And I didn't understand it at the time. I didn't know that the, the, the ways that I was acting out and the ways that I was failing my grades and how I had just lost any kind of motivation about my life was due to the fact that my world had just been completely changed. But I felt extremely alone. I felt really alone. I felt like I was all by myself, even though there were people around me. It was a a drastic situation. My mother actually eventually um, uh, found love, got into a new relationship, and, and got remarried, and was happy for a time. But unfortunately, my stepfather became very sick. And the end of the story is he succumbed to his illness and he died. And this was in, uh, I was about ninth grade at this time. And um, if, as, you could un, as you could imagine, or if anyone's ever gone through something like that, it was very devastating for our whole family. And I remember that, um, especially for my mom, because I've got two older brothers. So she is the mother of three teenagers right now. She is divorced and she's a widow. And so times were very, very desperate. And I don't know about you, but when times are desperate, sometimes I'm inclined to make desperate decisions. And in this situation, what happens was my mother formed a relationship with a new individual that was not very stable. This was the kind of individual that made a lot of poor decisions. This was the kind of individual that was very irrational. This person had a very difficult habit with drug abuse, had some very violent tendencies, would actually sometimes have a propensity to take our vehicle, drive away, be gone for weeks at a time, empty out all the money in the bank account, and we would have no idea where the car was, where he was, when he was coming back. And then come back a few weeks later just to do it all again within a month or two. So um, needless to say... We did not get along. (laughs) We didn't get along very well. And um, it led to a confrontation that actually ended up with me getting kicked out of my house. So I was still in high school at this time. I was in the 11th grade and didn't know where I was going to live, didn't know what I was going to do. And I was feeling completely abandoned by my family, completely abandoned. So... um, The next thing, moving right along, um, is I tried to come up with a plan to figure out where I was going to stay. What was I going to do to finish out high school? I don't know. I was just trying to, that was as far as I had thought. I just need to finish out high school. So I decided to turn to some individuals who were very, very close friends of mine that I had done life with. We had gone through so many different things. They'd poured into my life in so many different ways and just say, hey, I don't know what's happening right now, but can I just stay with you until all this blows over, until I can figure out something else? And not once, but twice, I was turned down flat. I was just 
told no. I could not stay with them. And I was devastated. And I felt like I was a burden to everyone around me. I felt like I was a burden. So um, that was some really, really deep stuff for someone, especially in my age at that time, to try to overcome. And, you know, I stayed in the place of feeling alone and abandoned and that I was a burden for a very long time. That's where the enemy tries to keep you. You know, there's been times where even I've had to have people that are close to my life now remind me, no, you are not alone. No, no, you are not abandoned. And no, you are not a burden. Because the enemy continues to try to hit people with these type of lies. They're lies. If you're hearing these types of things, I'm telling you, it's a lie from the enemy. You need to fight it like it's an enemy and not accept it. It's not who you are. That's not who you are. It's a lie. Okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about um, the truth of the matter is that there are many people that could relate to that type of thing. Many people might be, even within the sound of my voice, feeling like that they're a burden on the people around them or that they've been abandoned. God has never abandoned you. You're never alone. You're never a burden to our Lord. So what we're going to do is we're going to look for some tools. Again, we want some tools in our tool belt so that we can live life as an overcomer and we can pull these tools out and use them when we need them, okay? So here we go. Let's dive right in. We're going to talk about Jephthah's story. It's going to be in Judges chapter 11, and the verses will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. If you do, then, hey, fire away on the app device or whatnot. So um, here we go. This is, a part, this is a time where the Ammonites were constantly at war with the people of Gilead, okay? So starting in verse 1 of Judges chapter 11, Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a great warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. And Gilead was his father. Gilead's wife bore him sons, and when they grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, you will have no inheritance in our father's house because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Then some lawless men joined Jephthah and traveled with him. So um, you notice that in these verses, we see several things impacting Jephthah that he had really very little control over, very little control. His mother was a prostitute. Well, he had no say in that transaction. I mean, he just kind of showed up, and it was already what it was, you know? He had no vote there. This is just how things were. He was hated by his brothers, and you notice the Bible doesn't say his brothers hated him because he was always a jerk to them. He was the oldest brother. The Bible doesn't say that his brothers hated him because he was always taking their stuff or that he hated them first. They hated him because of something he couldn't control. He was the son of another woman, right? And then he was driven away so that he could get no inheritance. inheritance. And it's actually suggested that his father may have been dead by this time because Jephthah was obviously around long enough for his brothers to grow up and get older. His father didn't have any kind of objection to this. Um, action of him being driven away. And you notice they said, you're not going to get any inheritance. It may have very well been the catalyst of getting him to leave, the fact that now his father was gone and there was an inheritance to give out. So, um, you know, it was just a very, very little control over these situations. But here's the great thing. In that um, span of scripture we just read, we already see the first tool that Jephthah is using that we can use to be an overcomer in our life. And here it is, 
You've got to continue to walk in your calling. Continue to walk in what God has called you, not what other people have called you. You walk in what God has called you. You see, in verse 1, it says that Jephthah was a mighty warrior. And there's reason why they believe he was a mighty warrior, because of what he says in verse 3, that some lawless men joined him. He, you see, he, he began to have a reputation of this guy who had all these people around him. He would draw people with him. He was a leader. His brothers didn't let him lead, let them lead him, let him lead them. Hmm, yeah, there's grammar for you. His brothers, <laughs> his brothers didn't let him lead. But then he was still a leader to all these people. And, and here's the thing. I've read several commentaries on this thing, and it was very, very interesting that I found people pretty much universally agree that Jephthah was kind of like the Robin Hood of his, of his time, right? And we're not talking the prince of tights guy. We're not talking about men in tights. We're talking about the prince of thieves. This is the guy. He was going around. He had all these people. He was stealing from the rich, giving to the poor. He was raiding the Ammonite camps. He was doing all these things to agitate and frustrate the Ammonites from the land of Tob. And that's why we know he's a mighty warrior. The reason they say he was a mighty warrior is because he gave people to be reason to believe he was a warrior. Okay? He continued to walk in his calling no matter what he was labeled by his brothers and his countrymen. Right? That's the first tool. We need to walk in our calling. Is and after this, some time went by, the Ammonites declared war on Israel. Before I get into that, I want to tell you something. Other people may not believe in your calling, but that's okay. Because they not, may not be called to what you're called to. So if the Lord is speaking someone, something to you and someone doesn't resonate with what you're saying, okay, praise God. Seek after the Lord. Seek after him. He'll correct you if you're wrong, right? He'll correct you. It's okay if not everybody jumps on the vision that God gave you for your life, okay? Back, back to what we were talking about. So um, when the Ammonites decided to declare war on Gilead, this is the place that all these people were living, who do you think they turned to for help? They turned to Robin Hood. They turned to Jephthah, right? So here we go, starting in verse 9. Sometime later, the Ammonites fought against Israel. When the Ammonites made war with Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to him, come be our commander and let's fight the Ammonites. Jephthah replied to the elders of Gilead, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why then have you come to me now when you were in trouble? And they said to Jephthah, since that's true, we now turn to you. Come with us. Fight the Ammonites, and you will become the leader of all the inhabitants of Gilead. The deal's getting a little sweeter here. So Jephthah said to them, if you're bringing me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me, I'll be your leader. So, yeah. Um, now, these people, you got to understand, they treated Jephthah horribly wrong in the past. They treated him horribly in the past. They were the individuals who basically were saying, Jephthah, we don't even want you around we don't even want you a part of what we're doing. He had to go and live in another country just because his own brothers didn't want him around. And now they are coming to him to ask him for help. And here's something else that's interesting, and this is going to roll into our next point, the next tool that we need to become overcomers. Some of his brothers were likely in the group, the leaders of Gilead, who came to him and said, 
would you come and fight for us? You know why? It's because of the way that he responded to them. He was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Tommy, I know that's you. I know that's you, Tommy. You were the one who hated me and told me not to, not to be here anymore. I, I know who you guys are, right? But you notice, know he said yes. He said yes. Very, very strange behavior by Jephthah, but it's our next tool to be overcoming. Our second tool is you have to forgive those who have wronged you. You have to forgive those who have wronged you. Notice in verse 9, he actually agreed to lead them instead of repaying them for the wrong that they gave him. You know, they're in a place where they need him now, right? He's the one who has the means. He could have done anything he wanted to them at this point. You know, he didn't burn that bridge. He didn't burn that bridge. Now, here is something that I really want people to grasp. Lord, Holy Spirit, help me to convey this because unforgiveness can be something that many people struggle with. Um, I want you to take this in as much grace as possible but this is the truth, and I really believe it. Unforgiveness is a roadblock in the highway of your life. It's a roadblock in the highway of your life. You will never get past the offense and the injury that you have suffered if you have unforgiveness. Because if you don't forgive every single time you see that person or every single time that person comes to mind, they come up in conversation, you pass them in the hallway at school, you see them at work, or you see them at home, your mind and your heart goes right back into the place where you were injured in the first place. It goes right back to that offense. And the only way that you can get past that offense is if you forgive. That's the only way that you can get past that offense. So don't let unforgiveness stop you from being who you want to be, okay? It's a roadblock in the pathway of your life. And it, it took me a long time to forgive some of the things that, that I talked about earlier, you know, it, it, the loneliness, the feelings of abandonment, the feelings of betrayal, the, the feelings that I was a burden, you know, it took me a long time to come to grips with the fact that I needed to forgive if I was going to move on. I didn't need to forgive. Now, praise God, if, if, if my stepfather ever walked through those doors, I wouldn't pick up this podium and throw it at him. For, thank you, Lord, because of the fact that, that I've forgiven him. I've forgiven him, you know? Um, I'm not going to have coffee with him, but I'm just saying, you, you know. So anyway, uh, thank you, Lord. So what, now, now, what follows next, I, I feel, is a shining moment for Jephthah. See, you know, up until this point, Jephthah's been doing pretty good, right? He's been doing a good job, right? And here is something else that Jephthah does that is really cool. Is verses 12 through 28. We're not going to read these verses, but I'm just going to kind of give you how I feel like the situation played out. It's when he confronts the Ammonite king for all the ways that the Ammonites have been harassing the Israelites. You know, the Ammonites had camped around Gilead. They had been attacking them. They had been threatening them. But now, Gilead has a leader, right? And so this is how I feel this conversation went out, okay? You can read it yourself and see what the Holy Spirit tells you. But anyway, here's what I feel. Jephthah sends a message to the king of the Ammonites, and he was like, Oh, hold, 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 hold up. What's going on here? What's going on here? Now, I know that in the past, you thought you could do whatever you wanted to do, but now you're dealing with Jephthah. <laughs> you know who I am. You know my name. All right? Why are you messing with my people? Why are you even here? Why are you on my front lawn? And then I believe the response from the king to Ammonites was like, 
Uh, you, you, have to, you know, what had happened was, what had happened was, you know, see, you know you're in trouble when you start a sentence with what had happened was, right? You know you're in trouble, right? So he was like, you know, let me tell you something, Jephthah. I'm not even doing nothing wrong. I'm not even doing anything wrong because your great-great-great-granddaddy took this land from my great-great-great-granddaddy. So all I'm doing is just taking back what's mine. We don't have to fight, Jephthah. You, just, just, you guys can just leave and everything's fine. I don't want to fight. You can just leave. And Jephthah was like, bro, let me give you a history lesson. All right? No, we were just passing through. We didn't want no problems. You ever listen to James Brown? He says, static. You don't want none, won't be none. We didn't want none. Y'all are the ones who brought the static. Right? You guys brought the static. You st- <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> you know... <laughs> You, you know, you guys started the fight, and we finished it. So what you're going to do is you're going to leave us alone, right? And then the Ammonite king was like, you know what, Jephthah, I don't even have to talk to you right now. You just do whatever you want to do. And Jephthah was like, that's all I wanted to hear. Boom. And then Jephthah attacked him. Jephthah attacked him. No more sitting back on their heels. You know, up to this point, again, the Ammonites were camping around Gilead. You don't hear any of that anymore because Jephthah's on the scene. You know? So, here's the thing. I'm going to read verse 29. Um, It says, The Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah, who traveled through Gilead and Manasseh, and then through Mizpah of Gilead, and crossed over to the Ammonites from Mizpah of Gilead. Now, that sounds awesome. That is great. Everything is moving right along like it's supposed to, but unfortunately... Here is our first point that happens in Jephthah's life, our first tool in our tool bag to be an overcomer that Jephthah didn't have, okay? And this tool, this is the third tool that we're talking about, and it is pay attention to what God is doing. Pay attention. If you want to be an overcomer, we need to pay attention to what God is doing, I just had the great opportunity to reconnect with someone that was very instrumental in me giving my heart to the Lord. And this person, um, they were reading a book, and they told me this is what they got from the book. It's that God is always moving in a direction. You can think of it like a train on train tracks, right? So he's already left the station. It's already moving. And it's up to us to look up Look around, see which direction the train is moving, and jump on the train so that we can be a part of what God is already doing. Okay? You see, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. God was already with Jephthah. He was. But Jephthah didn't understand and recognize that. So what Jephthah decided to do is he started to try to negotiate with the Lord. He wanted to get some insurance that whatever he was going to do was going to succeed. Instead of trying to listen to what God wanted to do, he wanted to get God on board with what he was trying to do. Okay? So, and and when I talk talk about this bargaining and negotiation, you got to think about it. Jephthah already has felt kind of good about himself. He's already trying to build up this trend of negotiating with people. He's negotiated with the leaders of Gilead, and he became the judge of, of, of Gilead. I mean, this is like the highest position that they had. He negotiated with the Ammonite king, and even though the Ammonite king didn't completely back out, I honestly don't think Jephthah wanted him to back out. I think Jephthah wanted to fight. But anyway, he's negotiating with this king who had been wrecking havoc this entire time. 
right? So he starts negotiating with God, and here's what he says. Verse 30 and 31, Jephthah made this vow to the Lord. If you will hand over the Ammonites to me, whatever comes out of the doors of my house to greet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites will belong to the Lord, and I will offer it as a burnt offering. Now, you might be asking yourself, why is this such a bad thing? Why am I talking trash about Jephthah saying this to the Lord? Well, there's a practical reason, but there's also a deeply spiritual reason that I want everybody to get. And I think it's really important to bring this up because I've read these through this verse when I was younger, didn't understand it, struggled with it for a very long time. And if you've ever read this, I want to give you something that can possibly help you wrestle through what's happening here. The first thing is we don't have to. Uh, you should let your yes be yes and your no be no. You should let your yes be yes and your no be no. Have you ever had that prayer where you're just like, oh, Lord, if you get me out of this thing, I'll never sin again. Just get me out right now. You know, you don't have to do that. We don't have to. If you're going to do something, do it. When you make a, wait, here's something for free. When you feel like you're compelled to make promises all the time, right, then that means that what you say on a normal basis isn't completely solid. Why do you have to add another level of assurance to the words that you have to say? You don't have to promise. Oh, your normal word isn't good enough, but you got to promise me? No, don't do that. Just say yes, say no, say, I don't know, brother, we'll see. I mean, just you don't have to promise, right? But here is the other reason why this is so wrong. Jephthah was not talking about an animal sacrifice, okay? And here's how we know this. It's because of the fact that he's saying, whatever greets me out of my house when I come home, now, a sheep isn't going to greet him when he comes out of his house. I mean, they didn't keep, they didn't keep like, we have dogs and stuff like that. They, they wouldn't have even had dogs because they would have felt that they were unclean. Uh, but he wouldn't have come home and be like, oh, it's my favorite little sheep. And the sheep's like wagging his little tail and comes up to him and he's like, you're so fluffy, I love you. That's, that, that's, not, that's not what would have happened, okay? <laughs> that's not what would have happened. <laughs> um, so this is something you also have to understand where Jephthah grew up. Jephthah grew up in the land of Tob. He didn't grow up amongst the people of Israel. He didn't grow up around them. And the surrounding regions around Israel were very different than Israel, and they oftentimes would use human sacrifice to try to get the favor of their gods, right? So Jephthah is, is, is making a very stupid vow here, you know. If I can say stupid in church, I've said it two times already. Anyway, he's making a very dumb vow. And I want to let everyone know something about this right now. There is no place in God's word that says that this is okay. No place in God's word that says that you should do this ever, ever, right? So, and that's going to give us the fourth tool that we need to be an overcomer in anything that we're doing in our life. And here it is. Know what God's word says. We need to know what God's word says. If we don't know what God's word says, we begin to believe that God thinks the way that we think. And he doesn't. <laughs> Isaiah 55 reminds us that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We need to know what God's word says so that when we make plans to get out of whatever situation we are in, we understand that our intentions line up with God's word. We need to know that, okay? Know what God's word says. So if you read 
the rest of the chapter, I'm just going to give you an overview. We see the tragic result of Jephthah's foolish vow because he goes and he beats the tar out of the Ammonites. He takes like 20 cities from them. He totally decimates them, right? And he, but see, he, this is the thing. He thought it was because of the vow he made, but he didn't know. It's because God was already moving, remember? God had already been with him. He didn't need to make that vow. But he comes back, and the first person to greet him when he comes out of his house is his daughter. It's his daughter. And he's like, oh, no, I can't believe this. This is crazy. How could this happen? I've got to keep my vow to the Lord. And his daughter's like, okay, look, just give me two months so that I can be off and mourn my virginity. Just let me go. I know I'll never marry. Just let me go off for two months. And he's like, go, go, go. Go with your friends. So she goes away for two months. And listen to this. Jephthah, he has two months to reflect, two months to research, two months of people probably being like, Jephthah, that's a pretty stupid idea. And he still, when, he comes, when she comes back, the Bible says that he kept his vow concerning his daughter, right? And then the, the, the people of Israel, they, what they did was they started to uh, um, have a tradition where the young girls would always go away for four days to remember Jephthah's daughter and the tragic thing that happened to him. And I've heard uh, one person, um, one scholar was saying that, that he researched it and found that the reason they did this is to guard people against making foolish vows. They wanted to remember, right? Now, I'm going to tell you, you know, I, it would be, you know, I, I feel like I would ne- be neglecting the, the scripture if I didn't say that there is a school of thought that doesn't think that Jephthah actually did what he said he was going to do, and, and that they think that what, what actually happened was that he dedicated her life to the Lord and so she could never get married. Well, you know, okay, what to do. If you want to talk about that, if you, if you want to talk about the reasons why I believe one way or the other way in that, then I would love to have that conversation with you. But any way that you swing it, Jephthah made a very, very foolish vow that impacted the lives of everyone around him because he didn't know God's word, right? So what are the takeaways that we have from everything that we, that we went through today, because it was a lot of information. I want to make sure that you have these tools, and it's clear in your mind, these are tools I can use to overcome no matter what situation I find myself in. Number one, continue to walk in your calling, right? Because God made you for purpose, on purpose. When you understand what God wants you to do in your life, you have found the meaning of life. I don't know if everybody has, uh, remembers back in the age, some of you guys don't, probably don't remember, back in the 80s, there was this huge thing where people were, like, obsessed with finding the fountain of youth. And people were obsessed with finding the meaning of life. Well, if you want to know the meaning of life, I can tell you what it is right now. It's doing what God has called you to do. Nothing will give your life more meaning, okay? Continue to walk in your calling so that you can be an overcomer. Number two, forgive those who have wronged you. Forgive those who have wronged you. If you ever want to get past what other people have done, the first step in your journey is forgiveness. It's forgiveness, not revenge. Number three, pay attention to what God is doing. If we don't pay attention, we're going to miss the train. We have to be willing to put aside our own priorities so that we can be about the priorities of God. Amen. And the fourth one is... Know what God's word says. 
And this is the point, honestly, that is the glue that sticks all of the rest of them together. We have to know what God's word says. And here's something, too. I'm going to let you guys know. If there's anybody in here and you think about, okay, I need to know what God's word says, but that's a really big book, and I don't even know where to start, and it's just overwhelming, and I just don't want to read all that genealogy. Okay, well, let me give you something that may help you, just a practical tool, and something that I tell people if, you have, if you're having difficulty reading the Bible, here's some good places for you to start. Number one, the book of Mark, it's the second book in the New Testament. It talks about the life of Jesus. It's very short and to the point. It's not very big. It's not very intimidating. And it can help you get familiar with the basics of what Jesus has done. Okay? And two, the book of Proverbs. There are 31 chapters in Proverbs, and there are 31 days in most months. So what you can do is you can just flip to whatever, look at the calendar, see what day it is, flip to that proverb and read it. It'll take you all of five minutes. And it's a book about wisdom. It's a book about wisdom. So if you want to get to a point where you know God's word, you have to build up familiarity with it. You got to build up a hunger for it, okay? It's not going to take you long. So those are the things that we can be, do to be overcomers. And honestly, without implementing these keys um, that were explained in the message today, I would still be in a place where I felt like I was alone, where I felt like I was abandoned, where I felt like I was a burden. There are so many things that God can use in your life that can help you get past this thing, you know? I mean, I, I just got to say, there's so, I, I mean, honestly, there are many people that are here right now, and I'm going to embarrass them and call, call them out. You know, I've got my military chaplain over here that's a great, great friend and mentor of mine. This first rows, two rows right here, so many people that I love. It's, it, it's amazing how many people God will put in your life to reaffirm what God is doing in your life. You don't have to live believing in lies, okay? You don't have to live believing in lies. So to be overcoming, here is the most important thing that you need to know. Your circumstances do not change who God is, and they do not change who you are in Christ, okay? I'm going to say that again. Your circumstances do not change who God is, and they do not change who you are in Christ, so, what does that mean if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ? Well, what it basically means is that you need to jump on the train. <laughs> it means you need to jump on the train because God loves us. He cared so much for us. I'm just going to give you a brief overview of what Jesus has done. You see, we live a life that doesn't glorify God. God wants glory for what he's done, right? Imagine if you build a garden for your family and you planted everything and you toiled and, and you did everything that you're supposed to do to make this garden beautiful, right? And then somebody came over to your house and picked up a rose and handed it to your spouse and said, this is for you. And your spouse was like, oh, that was so awesome. Thank you for doing that. You'd be like, what? I did that. And you're going to thank that person that didn't do anything to make it happen? LeBron James slams a basketball and we stand up and cheer, but God created the universe and we don't acknowledge him. God deserves glory for everything, and we don't give it to him. And because of that, we are unrighteous. But he loves us so much that he's not content to let us stay in an unrighteous state. 
He did what had to be done, lived a perfect life, and then died so that he can represent our death. And he rose from the grave so that he could represent life to us. And when we say, Lord, we want you to be our king, then he says, take the righteousness of Christ upon you so you can be righteous in my eyes. That's what Jesus did for you. That's what he did. That's what Christ did for you. And all you have to do is say, Lord, I want you to be my Lord. I want to follow you. And from now on, your way is my way. If there's anybody here who would like to do that so that they can become an overcomer in their life, then you would just pray this prayer with me. If everyone would please bow your heads and close your eyes, we're going to all pray together. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you right now for your love, for your compassion, for looking down from heaven and acknowledging me even before I even acknowledged you. Lord God, I want to pray that you would take the righteousness of Christ and lay it on top of me as I take my life and commit it to your hands. Father, please guide me. Please lead me. And from this point on, I want to be your child and I want you to be my king. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.